Hey everyone, it's Jim Stark. Thanks for joining. I appreciate it. I really do. So I get really excited about the podcast because of the opportunity to interview up and coming CEOs and their companies um, as they try to help heal our healthcare system. And once again, I think we have a rocket ship of a company and a CEO uh, on this podcast. His name is Ryan Shelton. He is the co-founder and CEO of Photonicare. It is a company that's creating products that make a difference, solve problems, improve life through optics and photonics. And just this past weekend, they won Best Healthcare Products at the 12th Annual PRISM Award. So congratulations to Ryan and his team. Um, And it's really interesting because Ryan will tell a story about how, once again, there has to be a better way to be able to treat patients, take care of, uh, you know, of, a, of a healthcare situation that could be done better through advanced technologies. And he had a personal situation that drove him into this solution by leveraging his education and his brilliance in the field of uh, photonics and optics. So, and the other thing I'm excited about is that the company is based out of Illinois. So I have another podcast that'll be coming out um, in the next week or two with another up and coming company and CEO out of the Chicagoland area. So I'm going to be spending some time um, trying to promote my great state and great city, Illinois, Chicago. So without any further ado, let's learn about photonics. So hold on tight, grab a notepad, let's get at it. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Medical Sales Nation. It's Jim Surik. Thanks for joining. I do appreciate it. So really excited for this podcast for a couple reasons. Um, One, the company's based out of Illinois, so um, very near and dear to my heart. Um, Not in Chicago, in Champaign, still a great city, spent a lot of time there as 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 a college student visiting. And... And it's in the somewhat of the ENT space, and I spent you know seven years in the ENT space with Intellis. So really excited about this as uh, as technology continues to move forward. So I have on the phone the CEO and co-founder Ryan Shelton from Photonicare, and uh, uh, Ryan, welcome to the Medical Sales Nation. And if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, I'd appreciate it. Yeah, sure. Jim, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. So uh, my name is Ryan Shelton. Uh, my background, I'm trained as an engineer. I have a PhD in bioengineering uh, from Texas A&M University and then uh, came up to Illinois uh, to UIUC to do a, some postdoctoral work uh, with one of the professors there and ended up uh, founding a company while I was doing that postdoc and um, been running that, uh, that company, running Photonic Care for the last few years. You know, it's I, I I thank God for you engineers because guys like me, I don't know what I would do if I if uh, I couldn't help bring technologies like this to the to the medical field. So I you know, so I've been working with engineers for twenty seven years. I have never heard of a biomedical optics and imaging PhD. So 
if you could just kind of dive into that, let let us know what that means and and uh, how you got interested in that part of engineering, and then how that turned into Photonicare. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, uh, no, no, thank, thanks for the, the kind words. Uh, you know, the feeling is mutual um, on the sales side. You know, everybody's got their role and everybody does does their own thing, uh, you know, excellently. So I appreciate you guys as well. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, so yeah, so, you know, my, my training was, uh, was in imaging. It was optical imaging. And I kind of got into that because, you know, I went to Oklahoma State for my undergrads, uh, and I don't know if there's any cowboys on the line, but, um, you know, good folks. And uh, I got interested in lights. And then, you know, at the end of that, uh, kind of for my senior design project, uh, I got paired with a with a basically a biomedical engineering professor that was in the double E department. And we built a pulse ox, and uh, you know, it was the first time that I'd I'd use light to actually you know take a measurement from the body and be able to see that whenever I cuffed my arm, it changed, and it was really cool. So that's kind of what got me, you know, into it. And then uh, you know, I had just gotten a taste, so I decided I needed to go do some more schooling. So I went to do the PhD and focused exclusively on uh, medical optics and imaging. So uh, you know, I started in in what's called photoacoustic imaging, which a uh, really cool concept. Basically, you shine light on the tissue, it absorbs, and then it emits sound waves. And you detect the sound waves, and it's kind of a different imaging modality. It's uh, it, it's pretty neat. Um, so I started there, and then I got into also optical coherence tomography, which is kind of my 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 area of specialty over the last decade or so. And that's basically ultrasound imaging, except you use infrared light instead of sound, uh, kind of the simplest way way to explain it so it's time of flight imaging you build up you know three-dimensional structures of tissue uh, just using light so also a pretty cool technology and that's kind of what led me to Illinois and then into this uh, this startup okay so how do you compare um, light imaging to the ultrasound imaging I, what's what's the What's the diff? I mean, I know there's a difference, but what's the difference in quality? Um, it, is it for different diagnosis, uh, different parts of the body? Just, I'm just interested. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's some uh, you know key differences in kind of application, or rather key parameters for the imaging that impact application. So you know with light. Um, well, we'll start with traditional ultrasound imaging. So with ultrasound, you know, you're, there's a couple of parameters. One, you're imaging deep into the body, right? You're typically, uh, for, for most clinical applications, you're imaging centimeters into the body. Um, but the resolution is not super high, right? You're typically talking 100 microns or more on, on resolution. There's some, uh, you know, high-resolution applications. But for the most part, it's pretty low resolution. Uh, the other the other restriction uh, on ultrasound is that uh, it requires a coupling medium of some sort, and you know everybody's seen a, a baby get imaged yep. um, you know, in in the belly, and and you, you spread the gel all over, and that's that's the coupling medium. Uh, it cannot transmit well through air, or rather the interface, as it loses a lot of energy. So light's different. Light, uh, we don't have to have air as a perfect coupling medium. So that's one of the advantages, especially in our application, you know, the ear. Uh, if you wanted to truly image with ultrasound in the ear, there, there was a company that tried to do this several years ago and, and basically ran into the problem that you have to fill the canal full of water or gel if you really want to do imaging. 
you know, there's there's another technology um, that's in development that that uses ultrasound for the ear, but they're basically measuring reflections off the drum because of this problem. So it's it's kind of a limitation of, of ultrasound, whereas with uh, with light, we can image just straight through the tissue. Now, the downside to light is that it doesn't penetrate as deep as ultrasound. So we're typically looking on, you know, in a kind of through dense tissue, a two millimeter range, something like that. But, um, you know, we get resolutions on the order of microns. So it's kind of a trade-off and we find our applications that light works really well. And the ultrasound people find the applications that that yeah. works really well and everybody's happy. Yeah, no, it makes sense. So, um, so you're working through this and you said that you, you started this company as you were getting your degree. Um, how did you come up with the idea? Yeah, so so it's a it's a it's a personal it's a it's kind of a it's an interesting story to me. So, um, you know, I was basically came up to do the postdoc, and I was in charge of a project where we had kind of a a low cost implementation of this optical imaging technology, and we were trying to figure out what the clinical applications were. We were really focused on primary care because we saw it as a as an underserved uh, kind of uh, call point, and you know we. We were trying to figure out what, what tissue site made the most sense to begin with. And we evaluated quite a few because, you know, the nice thing about, about the technology we're using, we can, we can point it at just about anything. So, you know, I, I landed on ear because my, my oldest son, Jack, who's now eight years old, you know, back at the time when I was kind of getting started in the, the lab, was going through his first year of life. And he had a heck of a time with ear infections. I mean, it was probably 12 visits in his first 12 months. Oh, wow. You know, eight to ten rounds of antibiotics, and then eventually, you know, a referral for surgery. And yeah, it took about fifteen months. I think the average is about twelve or thirteen months. So it's kind of par for the course. And that, you know, basically during that process, I just kind of stood back and watched this train wreck that that is the uh, kind of standard of care and the way that uh, that these this disease is is you know diagnosed and treated. And that's really kind of what drove me to there's got to be a better solution here. Uh, I think we can help solve this problem. Isn't that interesting, though? It is interesting is that um, these real-life experiences, how they bring about these new and different technologies. I know the company I'm with now, um, the founder, his father-in-law went in for an angiogram procedure, came out with an acute kidney injury that led to dialysis, that led to death, and... Um, it was mainly caused by the contrast that's used. And so he went out to figure out a way to make uh, angiograph uh, procedures uh, safer for patients from a real-life experience. So we hear that all the time. And uh, so I'm always fascinated by those stories. So when you, um, you were going through this situation, you're obviously getting your PhD, you're working with this. How long did it take for you to say, I, I think I could actually do take what I'm studying and getting a PhD in to helping out kids like my son. Yeah. So, you know, one, one big part of this story is the, uh, the professor that I did my, uh, my, my postdoc with, who's, his name is Steve Bopart. He's a world renowned, you know, optical imaging guy, uh, out of UIUC, the Beckman Institute down at university of Illinois. And, um, you know, he, he's, he's an MD PhD. And, and one thing that really helps with that, you, you get that physician, uh, trained perspective to all the engineering problems you're looking to solve and the solutions you're developing. So he was a huge part of, of, uh, you know, 
looking at what are the the clinical problems and and you know where is the technology suited to help solve them so you know, I, I would say that kind of the culmination of my experiences with my, with my son and Steve, you know, Dr. Bopart's insight into the clinical problem as well as the engineering solution kind of drove us toward uh, a commercial opportunity then where, you know, we started in the I-Corps program. I'm, I, I don't know if you're familiar with, you know, NSF's i program. It's um, fairly popular these days, but basically customer discovery, you know, making sure that whatever we develop in the lab actually has some kind of, uh, you know, commercial value. So, uh, we we went through that together and and uh, and you know I guess the rest as they say is history and we're moving forward. Okay, so I'm not familiar with the I Corps program. Could you go into that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So so NSF you know took a look at why are most small companies, especially the ones that spin out of universities, failing? And the number one reason turned out to be that they are developing things that people just don't want to buy. Mm. And that sounds so obvious, but, you know, you've got all of this cool technology that's coming out. Often, um, you know, a solution that's already been developed looking for a problem, uh, the, the, you know, famous hammer and nail uh, analogy, and uh, they, they try to find a way to fix that. And basically the NSF I-Corps program is their attempt to fix that. It's based off of the lean startup principles, uh, you know, the book from Eric Ries and then the Steve Plunk's work. And uh, basically it, it makes you get out of the lab. You go talk to a bunch of customers. Uh, we did the national program with NSF uh, in 2014. And uh, you got to go out and get, you know, 100 solid customer interviews in a, in a you know, eight to 10 week period. And uh, you learn a whole bunch about uh, what's good, what's bad. I mean, we actually started with an ENT product, some, like exclusively focused ENT product. It was kind of a, a um, superior imaging. It was very focused on, on, on 3D reconstruction and a lot of uh, ENT-focused uh, uh, kind of problems. And, you know, from our work there, we basically, you know, pivoted and, and really focused on the frontline care market. Mm. We saw the, the big problem. In this, you know, in this disease being uh, early diagnosis and 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 treatment, um, you know, over prescription of antibiotics, over diagnosis that leads to the over prescription of antibiotics, as well as to uh, increased rates of surgery. So we just saw a lot of uh, early problems and and a lot of need and opportunity in primary care, and we actually shifted our entire market focus. Yeah, well, that's what happens when you actually go out and talk to end end users, right? You're going to find a better path. So. I'm I'm still curious. Is the I-Corps NSF is that part of the University of Illinois? So the the University of Illinois is a site for uh, I-Corps. Okay. Uh, they've got a lot of national nodes they call them, and then they've got some kind of regional sites. And and UIUC is one of the sites, but uh, it's a it's a huge program. I think uh, last I heard, some nearly two thousand teams had been through it so far. Oh my gosh. So I'm I'm fascinated because this is um, it's obviously taking place um, uh, at the U of I and uh, Northwestern has a program. More and more of your um, teaching institutions with a, a large healthcare um, contingency, if you will, are getting more and more into bringing out technologies and partnering with their students. Um, to build companies. So I, I think it's, I think it's great. It's fascinating, you know, to me to see this happen. So um, I'm curious because you mentioned on the ENT side, like you said, I've got the experience at Intellis and you're right. Antibiotics was, was always an issue. Um, 
with overprescription because patients will go see their family doctor, whether it's it's a kid or uh, an adult. They're at their family practitioner. They're getting rounds of antibiotics. They finally are sent over to an ENT. Well, the ENT just does the antibiotic regimen all over again. And uh, and so you could see this this progression of you know of this use of antibiotics, and so I, I understand that I understand um, why you want to stop that from happening. Now, what is it about that you're looking at? Because uh, it's the Tommy scope. So, folks listening, um, Photonic here just got FDA approval for the Tommy scope. So, um, we'll, we'll get into what, what your thoughts are launching that into the marketplace, and. So I'm wondering now, what are the family practitioners, general practitioners, when they use your product, what are they seeing? What are they seeing that they haven't saw in the past? Yeah, so <clears throat> so you're right. We just got uh, you know our, our FDA clearance on the device, and that's been a, a really positive process for us. And you know, some of the claims that we got out of that is basically you know, being able to directly visualize the fluids in the middle ear. And that's one of the biggest pieces that just has not been, you know, done before. Right now, the gold standard, um, you know, in, in primary care certainly is is an otoscope, which, you know, very simple device. It's literally just a lens and a pin light. Uh, it's, it, they, they look at a magnified view of the surface of the eardrum and then essentially have to guess, based on very subjective criteria, what the health of the middle ear is. And you know, when they're looking at diagnosing ear infections, what they have to look at per the guidelines is, is fluid present? And what type of fluid is it? If it's serous fluid, if it's not, if it doesn't have infection, if it's, if it's clear, then we don't treat it. Uh, if it's uh, pus filled, if it's purulent, then we do want to treat that. So they're having to make both of those decisions based off of, uh, you know, an eardrum that if the kid was crying in the waiting room is already red and inflamed. Sure. So it's very difficult. And, you know, based on published research, the uh, misdiagnosis rate at primary care is, with an otoscope is 50%. It's literally a coin flip. So that's really where we're stepping in. We image straight through the eardrum. We visualize the fluid directly. We can measure the density of that fluid. So we actually image the fluid density. And that's what's driving, uh, you know, more information for them to make their decisions. Uh, and then in addition to that, the other claim that we got, which is super interesting to me and I'm really excited about, is that... Uh, you know, earwax is a huge problem in, you know, the diagnosis of almost any ear disease in, in uh, primary care because they're not typically cleaning the wax out. They just have to deal with it. And, uh, you know, if you get more than, than say, 25 or 30 percent occlusion of the ear canal with an otoscope, it pretty much makes the entire image worthless. Mm. So it's very restrictive. But, uh, you know, in the data that we shared with the FDA and they give us claims around, we were actually able to get uh, information about fluid behind the eardrum in cases where there was 94% wax occlusion. So we care very little about wax in the, in the ear, ear canal, and that's a, that's a huge advantage because it's a huge problem with the current diagnosis. Oh, interesting. That's, that's great. So now I'm, I'm curious. So you're looking at fluid and the, and the density of the fluid. Is that information – I should uh, – I'm making a statement. I should ask a question. Are you getting is is that analysis being done by some sort of um, AI that's producing a report for the doctor? How, how is it? How is the doctor going to know any different um, with the new results that you're you're presenting to him? Right. Yeah. Great question. So, short answer to your question. Initially, they're interpreting the image. 
we have a, an AI kind of uh, project that's currently fully funded by the NIH. The NIH has been very supportive of our work. Uh, initial results on that are, are above 95% accuracy. So we're very, uh, you know, it's looking very promising. We would roll that out later this year. But one comment I would make on the interpretation, we just had a, a paper published yesterday, actually, in uh, otolaryngology. And uh, it shows that, you know, we were using our device in, in uh, just before surgery. So we had a ground truth for, you know, whether fluid was present or not. And uh, just based on physician interpretation of our images, we had a, a sensitivity of 91% and a specificity of 90%. And that was not experts at reading our images. We basically took 24 readers, uh, split between four groups, ENTs who are very uh, specialized and experienced, PCPs, yeah. pediatricians, and then uh, nurse practitioner, basically physician extenders. And the fourth group was actually non-clinical. So we pulled in the office manager. And no we way. We pulled in an engineer that device before because it was that important to us because primary care you see all kinds of users and all kinds of experience it's not like we're going you know to, to these very specialized people that that um, you know some training and, and we're good so it had to be super easy to use and that was incredibly encouraging so um no that that's great and so when um you're, you're talking about this 50 obviously a 50 percent misdiagnosis this this should actually, you know, I'm, I can say this, you might not be able to, just from an FDA perspective, but this should solve a lot of problems for a lot of kids, right? And um, we like, go ahead. <laughs> we like to hope so, yes. Yeah, yeah, no, it's exciting. I know I have two kids, they're, they're 20 and 22 right now, but, you know, and all the parents that are listening can uh, uh, feel the pain. When the kids are crying, they can't really tell you what's going on, and, and you worry about that surgery. So with this, you know, 90, 95%, let's call it 95% um, accurate reading, what will that do? Let's say, and let, let's, uh, let's hope this happens, that every f family practitioner across the United States and the world grabs the Tommy scope and starts using it, and... Um, um, what will that do to the amount of tube surgeries that are done? In your opinion, I mean, an estimate. What do you think will happen there? Sure, sure. So, you know, tube surgeries are an interesting one. Um, they, they have been cited, you know, in publications as one of the most overused surgeries in U.S. medicine. Uh, but I think that it, 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 goes, it goes two ways. You know, they, they are overused. And I, I do think that our devices can help, uh, you know, with that. But... They're also, you know, my son, I, I wish he would have gotten surgery a lot sooner. You know, there's cases where, and, and some of the really interesting stuff that's still on the research side for us, but coming down the pipeline is that we can image biofilms in the middle ear. And those have been linked to chronic infections that do need tubes. So, you know, my, my kind of long-term uh, vision is, is to be able to leverage that to really have a, something that can tell us, you know, objectively whether in, and when surgeries are needed. So that's, I mean, this is obviously beyond the, the scope of what we're currently talking about, but that's the long-term vision. So I think, you know, I think it's going to cut both ways. I think, you know, there's, there's some people that aren't getting the surgeries they need, and there's other people that are probably getting them unnecessarily. Okay. So it's, yeah, it's a false positive and a false negative, and it could equal itself out that you're just doing the right treatment for the right patient and to, to surgery might stay the same. Um, so 
you you mentioned the biofilms and um, you know something that you're working on. Where else do you see this technology taking off? I mean, where do you have plans on on, on uh, different applications? Yeah, certainly. So uh, you know, we've we've published some uh, papers previously on you know showing that we can use the same device and change out a tip to image uh, you know anterior posterior segments of the eye. Uh, dermatology applications, um, oral tissue for, for tissue screening and, and oral uh, disease, teeth uh, for dental applications. So there's, I think there's a lot of places that we can go, and that doesn't even touch on some of the kind of non-medical applications we're looking at. Oh, that's so I think there's an opportunity there. That's great. So when you're talking about um, oral tissue and from a, a derm perspective, is it, it has, you know, I don't want to. I'm always excited about these technologies. Anything to do with pre-cancerous cells and looking for for something like that? Yeah, certainly. So that's you know compared to ultrasound, that's one of the advantages of of uh, you know OCT as a technology is that we we can get cellular level information, you know, structural information uh, because of the much higher resolution. So uh, you know, typically cancers are happening within the first two. Uh, millimeters of tissue anyway you know yeah. that's that's where that's that's where they live so so i think there's a lot of a lot of potential there as well yes all right great great and um i mean this it's it's exciting it's a, it's a technology just from being in the ent space where um you see something it's a preventative type of care that also allows you to get the right treatment option that's sometimes hard to come by because doctors, unfortunately, with the technology that they have in certain cases, are doing the best they can. So I always love seeing this type of technology come to market. So I know my audience here at the Medical Sales Nation, there's a lot of salespeople out there, some marketing people. What are your plans on commercializing? Yeah, so uh, I mean, we're going to be uh, very soon looking to kind of build out our our sales team. We're, uh, you know, we'll be um, also evaluating some partnerships. I mean, one of the uh, the things with frontline care, it's a very fragmented market, but it's also dominated by a few very large distribution channels. So it's kind of an interesting go to market there. Sure. But uh, we're definitely, you know, definitely looking for team members on the commercial side uh, as, as we move forward this year. Okay. So you're not thinking about building out your own sales force, but using the distribution channels that already exist. So I think, I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of startups that are, are, truly producing kind of innovative technologies have to do a hybrid approach, you know, because uh, a lot of times handing directly off to a large distribution channel with a, a, a product that does require a little education because it is, you know, changing people's uh, uh, behaviors, um, you know, needs some boots on the ground that are kind of dedicated to it. So, you know, our, our, our strategy is going to be more of a hybrid one where we have internal uh, folks and, and then a, a kind of transfer to large channels uh, as it makes sense. Sure. No, it makes sense. And like you're right, I mean, you've got these large um, alternative healthcare sales organizations that are out there that are, that are touching these um, family care um, sites, as well as, as we know, a lot of the doctors are being employed by large healthcare systems and a lot of things are centralized. So there's a lot of sophistication in getting to that level. So, um, so I completely understand that. It's, it's really is exciting. Now, I forgot to ask a question. Um, not being an expert on um, 
bacteria infections of the year. Are there different types of bacteria infections that would lead to different types of antibiotic use? So the short answer is yes, but um, oftentimes you find a, a, a several bacteria in there. So, you know, there's three or four main types, and a lot of times they commingle. So it's a little bit complicated there, but um, I think, you know, it, our, our technology it isn't looking at kind of molecular signatures in terms of, of especiating bacteria. We've got uh, we, we do have some other efforts in that area, but um, you know, just the simple, you know, right now in the guidelines, they're trying to determine whether fluid's present and, and what the consistency of the fluid is, right? Those are questions right now that they have a really hard time answering that drive the decisions around their treatment. So that's what we're focused on um, initially. But yeah, I mean, if I could wave a magic wand, uh, it, it would be nice to be able to to get, you know, a, a, a culture and, and uh you know, a non-invasive culture of the year in these cases, because that's that's something where you could really fine-tune, uh, you know, treatment. I think someday we'll get there, and it'll be really interesting. Yeah, I think that's the exciting part of this. Is, I mean, this is just your first-generation product, and you know where you're going to be three, four, five, ten years from now is is really going to be exciting to watch and, and watch this technology continue to advance. So I'm excited about it. I know. Um, I'm big on healing our healthcare system and products like this are are exciting because they do help provide better treatment at, while at the same time sa saving our healthcare system resources so that we can always put it in where it's more necessary. So I just uh, I appreciate everything that you and your team have done because it really truly is exciting. Um thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, I mean it is. I just a lot of times I run into people and they're in the medical field. I'm like, ah, oh, there's nothing coming out. Everything's a commodity. And people have heard me on this podcast say, no, you've got to be a student. You've got to go out and research and you've got to find these companies because they're out there and companies like you, I'm ashamed of, you know, I, I learned about you about eight, nine months ago that you're, you're, t you're, you're starting here in, in Illinois. Didn't even know it. Didn't know about, um, the uh, the uh, incubators that are going on in Chicago and building all these great companies. And so the word needs to get out about companies like you and leaders like you that are help healing our healthcare because it is a big deal. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, there, there's a lot of really great stuff that's coming out of the Midwest and, and, you know, Illinois in particular, St. Louis also doing some really cool stuff. So I, you know, every time I, I go out to, to the coast, which, you know, is, is quite often, um, I'm, I'm always trying to kind of share the good word that's coming out of the Midwest because we do a lot of cool stuff out here. Yeah, no, I agree. So Ryan, um, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day. Um, I know you're busy and you got a lot of things going, but uh, for for the Medical Sales Nation, um, you can follow Ryan. You can find him on uh, LinkedIn, follow the company, watch for the great technologies that are coming out there. And Ryan, once again, I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Jim. It's been a pleasure. All right. Have a great weekend. Medical Sales Nation, keep up the fight. Good luck selling. Until next time, hang tough.